Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ready for success. Leadership Strategies for Women is a show dedicated to providing practical and valuable strategies for emerging women leaders of today. It's your time to get inspired, motivated, and challenged to achieve your vision for success. And now, here's leadership speaker and coach, Ellie Nieves. This is the Leadership Strategies for Women podcast, and I am your host, Ellie Nieves. I'm the founder and president of Leadership Strategies for Women, where I develop seminars and webinars to help high-achieving women show up, speak up, and step up in their careers. To learn more, you can visit my website at leadershipstrategiesforwomen.com, or you can follow the Leadership Strategies for Women page on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Here to talk to us today about leadership levers is Diana Jones. Diana Jones is a trusted and experienced leader advi- leadership advisor, executive coach, and author. She brings over 30 years of experience in leaders' behavioral change, working alongside public and private sector executives and professionals as they reshape their relationships to achieve exceptional business results. Diana, welcome to the Leadership Strategies for Women podcast. Thank you, Ellie. It's really lovely to be here with you. So, Diana, share with us a little bit about your background and even tell us what part of the world that you're dialing in from today. I'm dialing in from Wellington, New Zealand. So it's a very odd hour, very early in the morning at the moment. <laughs> but it's very good to talk with you. And we're, we're just entering our summer. So yesterday was the first day of our summer, which is, um, I think, slightly different from where you are. Yes, yes, it's very cold here in New York. <laughs> yes, I, I adore your city. Yeah. Um, but about my background, um, I, oddly enough, was originally a physical educator. And then I became, I taught at a university to a master's degree program here in Wellington, New Zealand. And I got very interested in the area of theory and practice, like conceptual ideas and how do they work in practice. And that led me to wanting to understand a lot about how groups worked. So I was what was called the academic supervisor of master's students, master's degree students. And I'd often be in organizations and the leaders would ask me, what do you notice? Why do you think people are stressed? And naturally, I was quite opinionated. And so I'd let them know what I thought. And I thought, why don't I find out a lot more about this? And so I trained in a particular area of psychodrama, which is the content. It's not so much intellectual content, it's people's lives. And through that, I learned after thousands of hours in groups, I learned quite a lot about how groups worked and the nature of relationships. And I came very intrigued with like, formal structures and then the informal network of relationships that actually get going in organizations that create who works with who, who gets on with who, and um, who you solve problems with, who you confide in, all of those things. 
began to really intrigue me because I found that uh, the formal structure is is kind of how organisations are supposed to work, but actually they don't often, they don't. It might be the decision structure, but it's actually the relationships among people that um, become very important. And that, that's what my latest book, Leadership Leavers, is all about. Wow, that's fascinating work. And I'm sure that as you were developing in this area, it wasn't completely linear. Um, you probably faced some challenges right along the way. What are some of those challenges that you faced as you were striving to attain your goals? Well, one of the challenges is there's this real fallacy in organizations that particularly with leaders, and, and this affects women leaders enormously because they don't necessarily gravitate this way. And it's the idea that to be uh, a leader, you need to be logical and rational. And my position wasn't to do with that at all. It's, I could see that leaders develop relationships and people liked working with them um, if they were easy to trust if they were very interested in their staff's development if they were visionary if they were clear about expectations if they were available and that's got nothing to do with logic and rationality and so I was working in, in an area that was uh, a little bit fringe but what occurred in New Zealand was that they realized that the a lot of leaders weren't inspirational and so that became my niche um, in in developing my business. And the, the challenges are, I think, twofold when you're um, working in business. It's developing yourself. So I invested a lot of my own professional development, but you also need to develop your business. So every now and again, I had to dramatically change my business model. And because I was all of the time, I've been known for bespoke services as opposed to often when you work in large corporates, they want a one-size-fit-all training program. And um, I have not done that, and I've chosen not to do that. And it's been um, fantastic for me that I've gone that way. Um, it's meant I do have a niche, and I tend to work with mostly chief executives here in New Zealand. So that's become very satisfying. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's great. So ultimately, why should we as women leaders be thinking about how we shape our relationships in business? Well, um, firstly, it's, a, it's quite a natural thing for many women leaders to do this. And um, particularly to really rely on the informal network of relationships. So probably I did a lot of work with the Center for Creative Leadership in the late 80s and early 90s and um, where those authors were writing about the glass ceiling. And of course, that's been smashed completely. It's kind of hardly a concept anymore. But the, the, in those days, it was very difficult for women to be take senior leadership positions. Like you can see it in so many women leaders, both politically and in businesses right throughout the States and all around the world. But it's relationships are a natural thing for many women. They just find them easy and they find them. Um, uh, so they've got an asset, essentially. And um, my encouragement is to keep using that asset. So there was what was called the old boys network. And so that was usually related to how uh, men had either been to school together or shared a common interest in rugby or something or whatever the or football or whatever the sport of the time was. And so it was a very restrictive way that groups formed. But that's where a lot of the business got done. 
outside of meetings would be these informal interactions. And so women have had to learn what their networks are and how they relate. And of course, it's on uh, much more uh, depth of relationships when people form connections around shared experience, particularly, um, rather than just say content. So um, I find that women, when I'm talking with women, they will easily relate to something in their personal life. Now, whether women are parents or not parents, that's beginning of common ground. But there's also a lot of in-depth experience, like people who have come from other countries, migrated from other countries to come. Like that is often a shared experience. Um, growing up with one, uh, like a solo parent, is another shared experience. It's actually quite meaningful for women leaders and it affects how they approach the way they lead. So those are the areas that people can connect and that, that, that creates connections between women and men. So my emphasis is around finding those experiences. So often when I'm a group to, and with a group, the way I will help the relationships develop, I might say, what was the experience um, and where were you? How old were you when you first realized you were a leader? And that takes people to all parts of their lives. And, um, and when they share that, people get quite a sense of knowing about that individual. It builds connections rapidly. I love that. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do in the workplace is to build some of those informal relationships. And when I often coach women, they always tell me that they don't like networking. They think networking is something that uh, is not authentic yet. It is a pathway to building those informal relationships that you're discussing that can really have those dramatic effects on business results. So thank you for sharing that. Well, I really agree that I find networking a pain. Like if, you, if you're standing around and you've got a drink and there's all these kind of formal groups, it's, it's so painful, really. I find yeah. it. They're not very helpful. Everyone's trying to push their business. But what I'm talking about is doing this during business meetings so that mm -hmm. people introduce themselves and connect with one another around things that uh, where there's common ground so if you if you start a meeting and, and you know like people might be together for the first time it might be some you know working in the area of innovation or processes to change or just people getting together um, might begin by saying what are three qualities that you bring um, to this meeting that will help us really resolve what we've got in front of us and you've got a much more uh, lively way of interacting. And it's those uh, expressions and uh, communications and sort of like self-disclosures that really help people connect. And it's, it's I don't call it networking, I call it developing relationships, yeah, getting yeah. to know one another. Yeah. That's a great distinction. Thank you for sharing that. So, so why do we need in the process of developing these relationships to stop aiming for consensus? Well, I, th I think consensus is uh, it's completely unrealistic. But what, what people can agree on is a shared direction. That, that, and that's, that's a core of it. But if you, if you ask uh, in any group, like what might be a, a decision a company would be making? Um, you know, should we invest in ABC, yes or no? If you use something like a continuum, a line from no to yes, and you ask people to um, 
like you can ask them verbally, but what I'll often do is ask them to actually stand on the line and about where they are, they yes or no. And you'll see the spread right across the line. And if you ask people like, how come you're there? They'll let you know what would get you to yes. And so you find out what the roadblocks are. So most decisions are much more nuanced than just um, everyone agreeing, oh, this is a good idea. I mean, if that happened, I think we'd have an enormous amount of progress in our organization. <laughs> but I noticed so many people find it very difficult and they make decisions that a lot of people haven't said what they thought. They haven't brought out their reservations. They haven't brought out the innovative ideas that they've got or quite different ways of doing things. And so I believe it's completely unrealistic to go for consensus. But you can certainly have shared vision and a, a, a shared direction. And, but people are bringing quite different things to delivering results. In your book, you talk about developing intimacy, right? And we, when we think about relationships, we think about intimacy. But when we think about it in the workplace, it doesn't always jive with many of us. But what are some of the four factors that you address in your book uh, that influence a leader's capacity for intimacy? Well, what I, what I talk about is it's a, it's a very unusual thing because I know a lot of leaders, because of this rational, logical thing, people think to be a leader, they've got to be this a leader. But actually, their personal qualities are very influential, and that's their capacity for empathy, compassion, relationships, ability to be firm, decisive, a ruthless decision maker, all those qualities become very important and um, for leaders. It's not just their knowledge or their expertise that makes them a leader. It's their capacity to have a vision and really help people achieve the vision. So when you think of leadership in that way, and, and the way people get to know one another, so you have that professional identity, the leader, but actually the way people get to know one another is to self-disclose. And so that means uh, saying something personal. So you asked me about my background and I let you know I taught at a university um, for a number of years. So that gets you, gives you an idea about me. And then I might talk about what uh, motivated me. You asked me some of my challenges. So that gets into quite what's quite private territory. And so when leaders talk about both personal things and what's previously been private, um, that lets people know them more. But it's not just the leader's role. It's my view that everybody in the organization needs to do that. But it's also deciding, I, I, in the book, I also talk about levels of self-disclosure. And so there's just a simple level of self-disclosure, which is something like <laughs> when I work with leaders in their executive presence, some of the leaders I know are very ungiving. And so they won't use the word I. They won't say, I really like what you've done there. Or I think you've got an exceptional capacity to really hone in on what the significant factors are and express those simply. Now, those are simple self-disclosure. And that self-disclosure is, I like that. Now, some leaders find that so difficult to be positive and acknowledge um, a great contributions and then then there's a the the next level of self-disclosure where you 
the leader begins to talk about some of the challenges I've got. So they might say something like, um, I just find in a group we're going round and round in circles and I feel quite frustrated that we haven't got a forward movement. Um, and I find that in my leadership team. So if I'm talking with my peers, I might say, what advice can you give me to move forward? So you, you're not coming across as some perfect being. You're kind of really inviting other people in. And that creates relationships. And the, then the third is like really deep self-disclosure. And one of the examples I use in the book was um, one of the leaders I was working with was in quite a substantial group and they were looking at really shifting their culture. And she actually said, from now on, you won't hear me talking about other people behind their backs. Um, what I will do, I'm open to you to come to me with any of your concerns. So that's quite a deep level of self-disclosure, which discloses also a fallibility. Now, for many leaders, that's both personal, it's very personal, and it would have been private. So people might have known that about that particular leader, but she was the one to bring it out. So I talk at a lot of depth about, in the book, about these levels of self-disclosure and the way to create intimacy. And the thing with intimacy in organizations, like and where it's gone terribly wrong, particularly for women, that often people have had these private and personal conversations over a glass of wine, over dinner, at parties and so on, and it, and it gets into the wrong territory. So I'm saying, let, let's have these conversations um, based on very wise questions that are relevant to the group. And um, when you've got criteria like that, like what was the first experience that you had where you realized you're a leader, something like that, taps into personal and private experiences. And um, I've used that in a number of the programs and work that I've done. And the stories are just magnificent. You know, um, I could tell you some of the stories, but read my book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, so, Diana, what is next for you personally? Well, I'm um, still continuing my, my work, which is mostly with chief executives and the leadership teams at a national level in New Zealand, um, where there's significant change. Of course, we're coming, like many other countries and, and states, we're coming out of the pandemic now. So um, over 90% of the New Zealand population have had their first vaccination, and by in about three weeks, um, those people would have had their second vaccination. So that's kind of creating a new sense of freedom. There's enormous business stimulus um, in the country about to happen. So I'll be involved with some of the groups that are working with that as they devise strategy, bring new groups together, reform, repurpose themselves, work out what their priorities are. Because anyone who had a strategic plan would have gone, that would have completely gone out the window. Um, and the second thing I'm doing is really working with a number of organizations, um, really helping them reconnect and refresh the informal network of relationships in their organization. Because as people have worked online, they've lost a lot of those happenstance connections with one another. And um, many people have had quite profound experiences during the pandemic with their, within their families and their friendship networks. And there's a need to really acknowledge that and, and move forward together. Yeah. So how can our listeners get in touch with you? Well, my website is very simple. It's diana-jones.com. And my book is Leadership 
levers, releasing the power of relationships for exceptional participation, alignment, and team results. So, um, and my email is dianaj at diana-jones.com. Be great to hear from everyone. Diana, thank you so much. You've given us some very unique insights on how we can build relationships in the workplace uh, and how we can grow as leaders. Uh, You've given us some really great perspective. Thank you, Ellie. It's been great to be with you and your listeners. It's very good. Thank you. Great. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, God bless. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.